today's scripture is 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The, real, uh, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I think this uh, fan over here is just incentive to move people to the front. feels really good if you sit, sit in the first couple rows, yeah. College campuses um, tend to attract all kinds of interesting people, sometimes odd people. Uh, when I was a student at UC Davis about 15 years ago, uh, I met a guy who was very strange. He was very unusual. He had this big circle that he had drawn on the ground in shock, and uh, as people came near to him, he told them to get away from his circle. Don't come inside his circle. You know, honestly, uh, I had no desire to be (laughs) inside this man's circle. I didn't want to be that close to him, Um, but I was curious, why do you not want people to stand in your circle? And what he said to me was that his circle, wait for it, is a sin-free zone. A sin-free zone, yeah. I, got, I laughed. I mean, I thought it was kind of funny. Um, he truly believed, though, that it was not possible um, for Christians to sin, that it was not only uh, not possible, that it was, it was impossible for you to continue sinning, that you can't be a sinner anymore if you're a Christian, and that he was totally sinless. He didn't want college students to walk past and, you know, pollute him, I guess, uh, with sin on campus. I'm not sure. why. If he thought we were so sinful, why was he there in the first place? Anyway. Um, it's easy for me to laugh at him and say, of course, you know, there's no one without sin. That's from 1 John. We already read that uh, about a month ago. If anyone says he's without sin, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him, right? Um, But I think I'm a little too quick. I think we're a little too quick to move to the opposite extreme from this man to simply dismiss sin as a regular part of our lives. Maybe to not fully embrace it, right? But to make room for it, certainly. One way that we have a tendency to make room for sin in our lives is by simply living a double life. You know, feel like it's not socially acceptable in a church setting to be getting drunk or high on the weekends, to be a porn user, to be sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, hooking up with people. So you just hide. You pretend like you don't do that, right? Right? You choose to do those things in secret, and there's a certain sense of powerlessness in that that you feel, but you make room for it because you think you can't change. You can't overcome. You can't be different. Maybe you don't want to be different. 
But there are sins that are respectable, acceptable sins in the church. What about those ones? Those are sins that we make room for and we don't take seriously here in God's family. How often do we hear gossip in a church setting? Sometimes we use prayer requests as kind of a sick vehicle for gossip, right? Did you hear about so-and-so's marriage? Pray for them. Pray for them. How often do we make room for gluttony in a church setting? I'll be honest. (laughs) I'm often lured into the soothing comfort of a pint of ice cream at the end of a long day. I love that. Maybe for you, it's, it's comfort eating. Maybe it's comfort drinking. Maybe for you, the gluttony of binge watching something to just numb your mind from the world is a form of gluttony that you most often partake in. It's acceptable, it's respectable, but we also make room for greed. We might cover it in some Christian language. We might call it financial wisdom. How much of our financial wisdom actually tends toward hoarding? How much of our financial wisdom is driven by our deep idolatry of security or status or joy that we think we will find when we acquire the wealth we want? Look, I fully disagree with sin-free zone. Don't, Don't get it twisted here. Don't get it messed up. He has totally misunderstood the passage that we're looking at this morning. He has totally misunderstood what it means to be a Christ follower. But here is what he has right. A life of habitual and unrepentant sin is totally incompatible with the Christian life. We cannot remain in sin. We're going to pray and we're going to jump into our passage here. Heavenly Father, we know that your word uh, is inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that the same spirit that inspired these words would come and dwell among us and in us, that we might read this text and it would come alive, it would be fresh for us here as we listen to your word. Speak to us, we pray. Meet us here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, good morning. My name is Keith. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, We are going through a series verse by verse through the the first epistle of John. Uh, This week we're in chapter three, verses four through 10, which you heard from Marielle. Thank you so much, Marielle. Has a few intense moments in it. Uh, If you would like a physical copy of God's word, please raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring a copy of the Bible to you. We have copies in English and in Spanish. So if you prefer Spanish, just say Espanol and they will give you a copy in your heart language. Uh, If you don't own a copy, this is our gift to you. Please keep it. All right, so 1 John 3. It is a section as you probably gathered, is all about why we cannot remain in sin as Christians. And here's the central thing I think John wants us to walk away with. We can't remain in sin because one, what sin is, two, because of what Christ has done, and three, because the Spirit remains in us. So we can't remain in sin because of what sin is, because of what Christ has done, and because the Spirit remains in us. So first of all, We can't remain in sin because of what sin is. All right. My my, uh, slides didn't come up there, huh? No, that's all right. Track with me in the Bible as we go through, okay? We're in verse four. That's where we're going to start. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So the first thing I want to draw your attention to here 
is the phrasing that the English Standard Version uses. Uh, it says, makes a practice of sinning. What does that mean? Uh, I would suggest that it means a continual, repeated pattern of habitual and unrepentant sin. A continual, repeated pattern of habitual, unrepentant sin. It means living your life in a way that you've welcomed sin as a regular member in your life, whether that's in secret or openly. Making a practice of sin uh, has the same kind of linguistic implication as making a practice of medicine, being a doctor, making a practice of law, being a lawyer, making a practice of sin, being a sinner. That's the implication that's here uh, with making a practice of. It is internalized, it is accepted, it is a part of your identity. And John wants us to understand that that is totally incongruent with the Christian life because of the very nature of what sin is. He says sin is lawlessness, lawlessness. Now, I grew up reading about the law in the Bible and thinking that it was kind of rules, right? It's don't run a red light kind of rules, right? Um, Things that restrict our freedom, you could say. But often the way that the Bible talks about the law is it talks about not things that are meant to restrict our freedom and to keep us from having fun, but how God has structured and ordered the world for our benefit, for our good, for our flourishing. Um, So God has structured the world with a certain way that things are meant to be, uh, a certain way we're meant to live, a certain way we're meant to interact with him, with each other, with the non-human creation. Uh, And when we do that, when we live according to God's structure and God's order, God's law, we experience flourishing and blessing. That's God's desire is to help the whole world flourish and be blessed. So when John says the very nature of sin is lawlessness, what he's trying to get at is sin is antithetical to the very ordering of God's world. Sin is the opposite of how God structured creation. It's opposed to the way that God has set things up. It works against blessing and flourishing. When we go against God's order by sinning, it always, always, always brings harm. Always. The way that C.S. Lewis said it is he said that the universe has a grain to it. Think of like woodworking. There is a grain to the wood. The universe has a grain to it. And if you go against the grain of the universe, don't expect you won't get splinters. You will get splinters when you go against the grain of the universe. So sin is fundamentally in its very nature, contrary to the grain of the universe, the very structure of God's good creation. It is antithetical to God. But not only that, John tells us in very dramatic fashion that the origin of sin is satanic. It's satanic. Read uh, verse 8. You can get it up. There we go. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So John often talks about the devil in this book, um, which can be a little off-putting for our Western ears. Um, There's at least eight clear references in five chapters here. And biblically, we don't know a ton about the one that's called the devil or Satan or Lucifer, the evil one, the enemy, the adversary. Here's what we do know, though. There is a very real spiritual force that is evil, that is opposed to God, that is opposed to his rule and his reign over the universe, we know that this evil spiritual entity is not alone. 
that he has other spiritual beings that he has recruited to join him in his rebellion against God and his good world. There is no good in Satan. There is no truth in Satan. And John warns strongly here against our alignment with Satan. And he says making a practice of sinning is satanic. It's demonic. It's not from God. It is from the one who is in open rebellion against the good creator of the universe. If we make a practice of sin, John says, you right now might be unknowingly aligned with Satan. So we can't remain in sin. We can't stay there, right? It's not going to aid your flourishing. It is against the fabric of creation. Remaining in sin aligns you with the devil. Those are pretty good reasons to not remain in sin, but John gives us more. He gives us more. The second reason we can't remain in sin is because of what Christ has done for us, okay? Christ has done for us. Read verse five. It says this. You know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. So John's reminding the readers. He's reminding us again of the most basic truth of the gospel, the very reason why Jesus came, put on flesh, walked among us, is to take away sins. Not to keep us in sin, to take away sins, right? Uh, Growing up, I primarily thought of Uh, This is sort of a mystical, spiritual transaction, okay? So I prayed a prayer, and now uh, Jesus doesn't count any of my sins against me. And there is a simple, this is an oversimplification, I'd say. There is a truth about this, um, a kind of legal status change that's called justification. Justification, it's a big theological, spiritual word that means... uh, the process of being made right with God, the process of being made right with God. We are justified, we are made right with God by putting our faith in Christ. He takes away our sins. They're no longer counted against us. They're not on your permanent record anymore. They're expunged. We did nothing to earn that. There's nothing we can do to take, for him to take it away. It is a permanent status change in God's eyes. We were guilty, now we're justified. He has taken our sins away. But there's another angle to this. He takes away our sins. There's a present tense to this. Not only has he taken away the record of our sins, somehow he is actually taking our sins away from us. This process is often called sanctification. So justification is the process of being made right with God. Sanctification is the process of being made new by God, being made new by God. This process, unlike justification, is not instantaneous. Unfortunately, (laughs) it is long. It is slow. It's not immediate. It's gradual change that God begins to bring in our hearts after we decide to follow Jesus. But even though it's long and it's slow and it's gradual, it's real. It is real. He takes away our sins. That doesn't mean we're going to get to the point that we're like sin-free zone guy, right? Like we're not going to get to a point where we think we fully have no sin anymore. We still sin, but here's the difference. There is a long 
trajectory of change and growth and faithfulness that begins to take shape over the long haul, the long course of our lives. Gradually, slowly, but surely, as we walk with Christ, as we know him, we become like him, the sinless one. So we can't remain in sin. We can't remain in sin because Christ takes away our sin. Uh, We also can't remain in sin because Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Um, Maybe I shocked you earlier when I said that we can't make a practice of sin because it's satanic. That's just John. He's saying it's satanic. Um, But the reality is we often underestimate the power and the hold that sin can have on us and the spiritual forces behind keeping us in bondage to sin. Now, a couple weeks ago, Dave, Pastor Dave showed a diagram. I, I have the diagram. And look in the, it's, uh, the file is Keith uh, Sermon Slides dash one. So if you find it in the library, maybe you can pull it up and meet me in here. Uh, Pastor Dave showed this diagram, and it's three circles, okay? Uh, and it's like a Venn diagram. And it's the three origin points of sin. So in one origin point, it says the flesh. The flesh, that's like the internal sinful desires that we have in our hearts, right? The desire to do wrong, to sin against God, it comes from within us. Then there's the world. And the world, I I preached about a couple of weeks ago, it's the systems and the structures that are set up in opposition to God and his rule and reign in the world. Okay, and then the third circle are the powers or uh, demonic forces or Satan. Uh, Now, these are the very real spiritual forces that are in open rebellion against God. Um, We, I think, need a diagram like this to help us understand the interplay between these things and how they can keep us in bondage to sin. So I'll give you an example of real sin in the world. Pornography. Viewing pornography is committing the individual sin of lust, certainly. It's looking at someone who's not your spouse and committing adultery with them in your mind and in your heart, right? It's the flesh. It has an origin point within you, a personal, sinful desire that you act out on. It is is the flesh. Yet, it's not just the flesh. It is more than that. It is also set in the context of the world, a system that's been designed by an industry to dehumanize image bearers of God and turn them into objects for consumption. It is a multi-billion dollar business that wants to pull you away from God's design from the world against the grain of the universe to make money off of your lust. It is a world system. And lastly, it's not just a world system that objectifies. It is also a demonic system that enslaves women, men, children around the world are taken forcibly or they are trapped economically in a system that wants nothing to do with them but just wants to profit off of exploitation. Demonic forces seek not only to keep you here in this room enslaved to an addiction and a passion, these same demonic forces want to literally keep human beings enslaved in the sex trade. These things work together. 
in a powerful symbiosis. And we cannot underestimate the grip and the power that sin has in our broken world. But, but, John wants us to hear some good news. Are you ready for the good news? We are not trapped to this sin. We are not trapped to any other sin. We are not powerless to the devil. We are not powerless to the world. We are not powerless to our own flesh. As powerful as these powers and the world and the flesh are, they are nothing compared to Christ's power. Amen? Read what he says in verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Why did Christ appear? Why did he come? To destroy the works of the devil. Now, the Greek word there for destroy has another way you can translate it. The word is leo. It literally means loose, loosen. Friends, you cannot remain in sin because Jesus came to loosen Satan's grip on your life. He came to loose the bonds and the chains that you experience. You are not stuck. For freedom, Christ has set you free. So we can't remain. We can't remain because of what sin is. We can't remain because of what Christ has done for us. And lastly, we can't remain in sin because the spirit remains in us. Let's read verses six and seven. They say this. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. So if you have made the decision to follow Jesus, friends, something incredible has happened to you. Something amazing has happened to you. You actually see and know God. Early on in my faith journey, uh, someone in my youth group said, the difference between Christianity and every other religion is that Christianity is a relationship and everything else is a religion. Religion is transactional, right? Uh, it's a vending machine. I put my prayers in, clink, I put my time in at a worship service, clink. I put in my good behavior, clink. Out comes some good luck or some good fortune or a good afterlife. You don't need to know the vending machine. It's just an object that gives you what you want, right? You don't need to have a relationship, a personal relationship with a vending machine. It doesn't matter what the vending machine is like as long as you just put your payment in and you get what you ask for, right? And even if we know intellectually, that that's not what God is like. Even if we know that in our hearts, that that's not what God is like, we are still tempted, aren't we, to treat God like that. We are still tempted toward an easy believism that circumvents relationship with God altogether. I agree with the doctrine. Clink. I agree. I prayed a prayer of surrender to Christ. Clink. My vending machine God will now deliver me eternal life forever. John says, children, don't be deceived. This is a false gospel. Cheap grace, religion without relationship, easy believism. They're false doctrines. God is not a vending machine, is he? 
God is the creator of the universe, and he is personal. He wants us to see him and to know him. And John says, if we have relationship with Christ, you see him and you know him. In Jesus, we see the invisible God. We read about his character in the gospels. He put on flesh so that we might know that he is compassionate toward those on the margins, that he cares for the religious and the irreligious alike, that he's sacrificial, that he gives of himself, that he loves, that he's sinless, that he is the good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep. The Christian faith offers something that no other faith does. We can actually have a relationship with the God of the universe when we put our faith in Christ. Amen? But not only do we see him and we know him, but we are actually given God, the Holy Spirit, who takes up residence in us. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So when we put our faith in Christ, the Bible says uh, that God's spirit takes up residence in our lives. He moves in. He comes, he lives in us. uh, And some people in that moment, they experience dramatic, serious life change at the moment that they put their faith in Christ. Sometimes there's freedom from addictions long held. uh, But for most, it's more subtle. It's that slow, gradual, kind of painful change over the course of our lives. There might be a, a change in disposition towards others, right? At the moment that you put your faith in Christ. Maybe there's a new sense of uh, calling and purpose in your life. Maybe there's a sense of being a part of the bigger story of God from creation to new creation, or being a part of God's family in the church, uh, a sense of knowing God personally. In Ezekiel, God says that uh, we are given a new heart at the moment of conversion, that he takes out the the heart of stone and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. We have a a soft heart. Paul calls this moment uh, being raised from the dead to new life in Christ. Jesus famously calls this same experience being born again in John chapter three. And that's the same language that John uses here in 1 John chapter three. He says, no one who is born of God makes a practice of sinning. So once again, if you've put your faith in Christ and you have been born of God, you cannot make a practice of sinning. Why? He says it's because God's seed abides in you. That's the language that's used here. Now seed, uh, most of us here don't work in agriculture. I know one person who literally his job is to work with seeds. He's somewhere in here. Um, He harvests seeds, Joel Johnson. Um, But most of us, we don't work with seeds. We don't work with agriculture. Um, Seeds are small. I had a picture here. (laughs) I goofed up. I didn't put my slides. It's not Jennifer's fault. It's my fault. I didn't put my slides in here. Um, I want you to imagine the tip of your finger, a seed that is a fraction of the size of the tip of your finger, okay? That same seed, although it is tiny, 
and is indistinct, it is hard for us to identify what it is, grows into the world's largest living organism, a giant sequoia. Um, they're famously the, the biggest trees, the largest living things on earth. Um, and if you could see how it compares to a fully mature oak tree, which I think is a massive tree, right? It's like, like a dozen times bigger. It's so huge, right? Um, a seed takes time to grow. It takes nurturing. Slowly but surely, what begins to happen is that the small seed sprouts eventually, right? And then it turns into a sapling. And over the course of many years and much water and much sunlight, it grows into the mighty tree that we know as a giant sequoia. It is an incredible miracle for sure, but it's not overnight. It doesn't happen immediately. In the life of a believer, at the moment you put your faith and your trust in Christ, a small seed of faith comes in. The seed of God's Holy Spirit comes into your life. And over time, with nurturing, it sprouts. An inward transformation begins to take place in your life. So we cannot remain in sin as that process is at work inside of us. Something else, another power is moving and working within you. The Spirit of God, he is changing you. Not just your behavior, your desires, your attitudes, your loves, your relationships. And what starts as a small, indistinct, unidentifiable seed of Christ-likeness in your life grows over time by the power of the Holy Spirit who never leaves you. He remains in you. So John says, it is obvious to the world. It is obvious. It is apparent who are God's children and who are not. God's children exhibit Christ-likeness, and he calls that practicing righteousness as opposed to practicing sin. A life trajectory that is not marked by habitual sin, but rather a life that's marked by habitual holiness. A life tra trajectory that's not marked by a stubborn rejection of repentance in your life, but a stubborn rejection of remaining in sin. A life that's marked by justice and compassion and mercy for our neighbors. It's a life of love, a life that is characterized by love. Paul calls this the fruit of the Spirit at work in our lives. He famously calls it in, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, he says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there is no law. It works with the grain of the universe, right? The Spirit is working in you, friend. If you have put your faith in Christ, the Spirit is in you and he is working in you. He is changing you. He is producing the fruit of the Spirit in you. And if he remains in us, we cannot remain in sin. So sin-free zone guy, he's, he's an odd person. I don't, have, I don't have a relationship with him. I don't know him. I don't want to cast too much judgment. But he has mistakenly thought that it is impossible for us to sin when we're Christians. That's his mistake. Ironically, what happened was, instead of making a sin-free zone, he made a love-free zone, right? Don't make that mistake. 
We are sinners saved by grace. We are sinners saved by God's kindness and mercy toward us. But at the same time, while it's not impossible for us to sin as Christians, it is definitely incompatible with the Christian life. Sin's ugly. It's rebellion. John says it's satanic. Christ, the sinless one, came to take away sin. He came to take away the devil's power over us. And not only that, but he gave us his Holy Spirit, the seed of transformative power that will continue to empower us throughout our lives as Christ followers. So it is not impossible that we sin, but it is impossible for us to remain there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so kind to us. You are so good to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us that we might be made alive and made new and born again and have a new heart. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that that process of transformative power is at work in each and every believer. We pray that as we, as a people here at Redemption Tucson, walk little by little in faithfulness day after day, relying on your power to change us, that it would be evident and obvious to the city of Tucson who are God's children. We pray it would be apparent that people would see us and see a little window into your future kingdom reality that's coming here on earth. God, we pray that many more people would put their faith in Christ and that even those who are here who have maybe not made a decision yet to trust Christ, that today would maybe be the day that they set aside sin, that they repent and put their faith and their trust in you, Jesus, knowing that you will take it away and you will destroy the works of the devil in their life. Would you do a new and mighty work here in our church today? We pray, amen.